Ah, oh, Brian, it's a good day. How's your day? I'm feeling much better than we were last week, man. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, funny enough, like we were saying, when last week's episode came out, we would kind of know. So now this is the first episode where something's coming out where it's like, oh, we actually know what happened with the election. Yep. And that's why I'm in a somewhat decent mood, Brian. Let's do a show. <laughs> Chipper Marshall. Welcome to episode 372 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing lovely. Spent the weekend in Yosemite, enjoying oh. the last kind of weekend of fall. We basically started getting snow right as we left, so pretty good time. Nice. Yeah, uh, I've been in San Francisco all weekend, but we're recording on Sunday. So yesterday was Saturday. It was a beautiful, sunny, wonderful day. Today was kind of like a little bit cold and drizzly, but that was awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I got some hot apple cider, just Ooh. sitting around, watching TV. It's been wonderful. Yeah, the nice thing about rain in San Francisco is you know that it's snowing in the mountains. So if you <laughs> are into skiing, you crave those rainy days. You're like, yes, that means it's good stuff this weekend. Well, you, you know that I'm not into skiing or snowboarding in the mountains <laughs> because I had no idea there was a correlation But you are there. into rainy days where you have all the reasons in the world to stay inside. Got it. Exactly. <laughs> Cuddle up under a blanket and do nothing. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about some design. Today. Yeah. We got a packed outline. Uh, before we get into it, we got to shout out our very important pixels this week. Yeah. We got some new patrons on the Patreon. So huge shout out to Jake, Richard Cezanne. Henning, Melissa O, Richie Planek, Jay Sowell, and Aaron Meyer. Wow. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's Sowell or So Well. Jay So Well. Jay So Well. Thank you all for supporting yeah. the show this week. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yes. Thanks, everybody. If you didn't know, this is a listener supported podcast, which means that. People listening to the show, just like you, choose to support us every single month on Patreon. Starting at just a dollar a month, uh, you can contribute to the show and make it possible to pay for all of our software, hardware, and just the time it takes to get together and record this every single week uh, for six years running. And in return, uh, you get access to complete episodes of the show. If you're a Patreon supporter, you get access to a bonus segment called The Sidebar. Sidebar every episode... Sidebar. Just like an extra listener question or an extra cool thing or something really design specific. And it basically nets out to be like an extra half of an episode. Today we talked about the differences between radio buttons and checkboxes and how to design them correctly so that your users will understand how an interface is meant to work. So if you want to hear about this, if you want to hear our backlog of sidebars and all future sidebars and complete episodes going forwards, please consider supporting us by going to patreon.com slash design details. Just a buck a month. For the price of one sip of coffee. Yeah, it's like not even a cup of coffee. It's a like sip of coffee for a day would basically Two be coffees like, could get you a whole year, you know. Yeah, <laughs> hang on. <laughs> this is droplets of coffee. Just think about that. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's uh, do a little bit of follow-up for the main topic. So, all right, we got a tweet from Jesse Box uh, talking about last episode where we talked about creating a culture of design excellence. Jesse says... This was an episode that hit me right in the feels. I think you're totally right, Brian, that the ownership of design quality is on us. In my experience, design quality is a long-term challenge, so it's best to bring tasks to developers that are small and easy to understand. 
At my company, we found it works best to have a certain amount of design quality tickets present in each sprint. It has its own challenges, but I found for both the developer and myself that it's easier to QA lots of small tasks rather than one huge task. Mm -hmm. So the second part of this reminded me of something that we're doing at work that I think is working well. It's kind of a new process, so we'll check back in. But it's very similar to this, and it's it's two parts. So one, we have like a big master project column or project board for all the work we're doing on the mobile apps. And we have a dedicated column that we just call excellence. And cards go in there that are basically, like sometimes it can be a polished thing, but usually it's like uh, something that a developer can maybe spend 30 minutes to an hour on. It could be a feature. It could just be some some small fix something that wouldn't make sense to fit into a regular epic or a story that we're trying to ship. Like it's not a huge thing. It doesn't really fit thematically with some of the other things that we're working on, but we recognize that it's important and would sort of round out the interface or, or the, the product. Mm-hmm. So we call that those excellence tasks. And like Jesse mentioned, one of the important things is that they're small, well-defined, well-scoped, and easy for somebody to say, you know, oh, like it's Friday afternoon. I'm maybe not feeling like I want to do my big project, but I have an hour. What's, what's something I could do to just knock it out? And like yeah. having a very small, clearly defined task, I think has been good for that. So I don't know. Well, it's relatively new, but we're working on that style of like making sure we get the design polish shipped regularly, right? Like I think we want to avoid having to have some big design debt sprint sometime in the future where it's like, look, the app's gotten out of control. We have so much shit that's broken. We have to just go through Uh and polish everything. Yep, It kind of sucked to do that. So if we can do it incrementally in between all the other work, that might feel better. Tidy up as you go. Yeah, exactly. Clean the dishes as you cook. Thanks for the tweets, Jesse. Yeah. We also got a tweet from, it's either Michael or Michelle Van Heest. Uh, He says, Brian should write a book and design details should be transcribed. And uh, that first one, I can't help you with. But the second one, (laughs) good news, we are transcribed. We have transcriptions for every episode uh, available on our GitHub. Yeah, transcripts. uh, If you go to github.com slash design details slash design details, you'll find our repo with a a folder called transcripts. And we're putting them all there. And uh, you can feel free to poke around if you spot anything that's incorrectly transcribed, which there will be lots of mistakes because we are not taking a whole lot of time to edit these. uh, We'd appreciate a a pull request. But uh, how's how's that book coming, Brian? Still uh, still working on that novel? (laughs) It's, It's writing itself in my head, actually, Marshall. Okay. See you in 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Let me know how that goes. Sure. All right. Main topic? Let's do it. All right. This week's main topic is a listener question from Divya Talk, longtime fam of the pod. Mm-hmm. Divya tweeted at us and says, not sure if this has already been tackled, but what are the things you do to, quote unquote, save the users from themselves? Along the lines of Game Maker's Toolkit's videos for the same thing in game design. Yeah, there's a really good video from Game Maker's Toolkit about saving gamers from themselves. I think we might even talked about it in the show, but we can put it in the show notes here. But yeah, there are lots of things. Oh, we have a list. We got a long list. We got a list, so here we go. All right, should we just alternate and just fucking crank these out? Because we got like 20. Sure. Okay, I'll start. So the first thing to save users from themselves... Have you ever been on a website filling out a long form and you accidentally refresh the page or you accidentally click back Uh, or you accidentally click a link and it takes you away from that form uh, and then you go back and all your shit's lost? Wow, isn't that really annoying? What if application developers, software designers, 
persisted draft content that you've typed? Uh, wouldn't that be nice, Brian? I, I have developed a coping mechanism of any time I leave a text field that I think I might not get back to immediately, I copy that shit. <laughs> copy and paste it, yep. Yeah, th- this this poor implementation of drafts has fueled that coping mechanism for me. This happens in Airbnb, on the host side at least. Like i gotten burned on that a bunch of times. Yeah, this is one of the worst feelings of really thinking through a response or typing out something really methodically, then leaving for a second, coming back, and it's all gone. Yeah. So persist that draft content. Please. Always, always. Yeah. Uh, another thing you can do in, in the same way of uh, destructiveness is warn people before you let them delete something. This is a pretty obvious one, but uh, yeah, don't let me delete something right away. Ask me, are you sure? Just to add on to that, I, I like... A lot of products will have that confirmation step. So you tap to delete something, it'll ask you to confirm or cancel. Yep. One small detail that I appreciate is when people don't place the confirmation button in the same uh, real estate as the initial deletion button was Mm -hmm. so that you can't accidentally like double tap or double click and click that confirmation inadvertently. So having it placed like to the left or the right or something like forcing you to move your mouse and consciously click that confirmation. uh, I like that pattern. Yeah, we were even talking about this last week. We were talking about menus versus action sheets and iOS and iOS 14 moving forward will force you to go all the way down to the bottom of the screen and tap on delete in the action sheet rather than being in a menu right near where that initial trigger Mm -hmm. was. Mm Mm-hmm. So speaking of deletion, uh, let's say you do delete something. Uh Uh-huh. Or... Maybe even not deleting something, but even just like mutating something, editing or or overwriting, let people undo it. Yeah, or even a, an explicit button that shows up in that place or in a bar somewhere that a allows toast, me to undo. A snack bar. Yeah. Yeah, give me some time. And then after you give me that undo, like uh, potentially there's there are some things that I may only want to undo for a certain amount of time, like send an email. Oops, I accidentally hit send. It gives me some time to undo. And maybe the way that works is just don't do the thing until the undo button goes away. Just like wait on it for a little while. Yeah. Uh, Alternatively, if you can actually undo the thing, like you can't unsend an email, but on something that's just a setting or something like that, you can undo that pretty quickly. Like show that button for a little while, but maybe it goes away and I can always get back to it later. Yep. As you were talking about that, I had to add one thing to the list that this reminded me of. So in Gmail, if you accidentally send an email, you get a little prompt to undo. Right. And you can prevent the email from being sent. Mm-hmm. But have you ever accidentally, like, you're typing the email, and you're like, um, the PDF is attached, and you hit enter, and you send it, oh. but you forgot to attach the thing. Uh-huh, done that. Yep. And uh, a long time ago, at some point, Google recognized this was a problem, and so they mm-hmm. do some sort of content scanning I guess looking for phrases like see attached attached. or is attached. And if there's no attachment on the email, they will prompt you to confirm that you didn't mean to attach something. Mm -hmm. Same thing if you try to send an email without a subject. Mm, That's nice. This is not the normal format. Are you sure you want to do this? But yeah, that's really smart of like making sure that you follow through on the promises that you've made. Yeah. Another way to help users is to, or I guess, save them from themselves is use sensible defaults. We we use this term all the time on the show, Brian, but yeah, sensible defaults. Make sure that the way the app starts out without changing anything is a good way for it to be. Another way that this gets phrased in the engineering world is convention over configuration, which is this idea that most people are probably trying to solve similar problems in similar ways. 
And so if your application or, or your framework or whatever it is can just go ahead and solve that, and maybe people can eject out of that through some configuration or script or, or like deeper advanced setting, that's great. But if you know that certain problems are just going to be solved in the same way over and over and over again, you can assume that that's the convention that, that someone would, would want to have as a preference. Yeah, I like that. Convention over configuration. That's pretty cool. Uh, here's another one. This is a little bit straightforward, but maybe not as obvious. Tap target size. So maybe you're representing something on screen that's kind of small, and you probably shouldn't do that because it makes people feel stressed that they have to tap the specific pixels that you've <laughs> shown them. But uh, giving them a larger tap target size, or at least the minimum tap target size for that platform, 44 on iOS and 48 on Android, giving them a sizable area to be successful when they go to tap that thing is really helpful. I try to be super generous with that. Like if there's controls in say, like let's say you have a card design and there's like a, a Chevron or a, a, a overflow dot, dot, dot in the top right corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could just put a 44 by 44 point bounding box around that icon and great, you're following the HEG, you've complied with a large enough tap target. But I think another way to think about it is if somebody's tapping anywhere in the top right corner, they're probably going for that action so you could make a huge, almost like a quarter circle tap target if that was possible. But like that whole upper corner, it doesn't even matter if it's 44. It could be whatever, like 64 by 64. But just being generous with that tap target because you kind of could make assumptions about what's happening if someone mistaps on the far edge or something. Exactly. All right, another one. This is like saving people from the product that you've created that's addicting <laughs> and keeps you, keeps you hooked. But like Instagram's end of feed checkmark so when you've scrolled far enough in your feed and you've seen all the new posts, they present this little card with a check mark and an animation. And there's a little bit of a delay before you can scroll any further that says, hey, you've caught up. Like you can take a break if you want. So similar to Netflix's, are you still watching? Mm-hmm. So just prompting people like, hey, you know, you sure you're happy with your your behavior right now? Like just checking in. That's kind of nice. And this reminds me of, you know, like this is, screen time there's like bedtime reminders there's do not disturb so there's a lot of features that are getting built into not only apps but operating systems that are trying to bring some of this like mental health addictiveness of software products to people's attention yeah show me how much time i've been using this app or give me an option to to limit myself right Right, yeah exactly I think another uh, good way to help people out in this way is to um, provide multiple entry points to the same thing. So for example, maybe you have like notification settings and obviously that should be one row inside of your normal settings, but maybe you have a notifications page or notifications tab or something that people can go to. Having a link straight to those notification settings from that page is really useful. So Give it to me contextually of like, oh, yeah, let me change the settings for this thing I'm currently on. Jump straight to that page. Love it. Uh, Another one, this one's pretty niche, but maybe there's a a broader application. But it's this idea of warning people before something gets really loud. So this is like on headphones. I think maybe, I don't know that iOS does it, but I feel like old iPods used to have Mm. like volume thresholds where basically you could cap how loud the system was allowed to play to protect your ears. Yeah, I think it's an accessibility setting now. Okay, yeah. So that kind of control uh, saves people from destroying their eardrums. Here's another one, Brian. Mature content warnings or or you know, kind of a, a roadblock or an age gate uh, for a certain content that might be 
worthy of a warning before a user goes and looks at it. Yeah, I, I like this. I know Reddit does this. I think Twitter does this. Like if there is something that is flagged as adult content, the image gets heavily blurred and you have yeah. to opt in to loading the image. Apollo does this. And this is so good because it saved me scrolling through all at work or in public. You know, it's like, please blur the questionable stuff. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Scrolling at work. Uh, speaking of, of Reddit, I feel like they do this really well, which is hiding spoilers. Yeah. Oh, so important. Yeah, and in fact, I feel like it's been a proposed uh, addition to the markdown syntax, which is a way to explicitly block out text that is is a spoiler and users, I think, can select it or hover over it and it would reveal the text. And this is great for people who are just casually browsing and, you know, instead of having to mute everything, which I do when a new movie comes out, for example, mm. I just mute the shit out of every term I could think of because I don't want them <laughs> spoilers. But if people had the option to say like, hey, this thing contains spoilers, I'm going to be a polite contributor on the internet, that would be wonderful. Yeah. And and think about, you know, it's not just text, right? Like think about what could be spoilery about your content. For example, in a, if it's a sports game, it might be the duration of it, right? Like if the game ends super quick and I can see that it's only an hour when a normal game that is competitive lasts two hours, well... I know that it was a blowout and I'll have to look at the teams and like, okay, this team's better than that team. They probably won, right? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, especially, oh man. Yeah, for any sports, I imagine they have to think about like people who are re-watching or they have a sports yeah. team that they've favorited and they're just trying to catch up on a score after the fact. Maybe they oh, want yeah. certain parts of the game hidden so they can rewatch it with all the anticipation. Yeah, the score is obvious, but there, there are other ways to derive exactly what happened during the game. Uh, that you should also consider hiding for spoilers. Here's another one, Brian. Rage Shake. <laughs> so um, I think this exists on most Google apps, but uh, if you shake your phone, it pulls up a feedback thing. So if you get pissed at your phone, it's like, hey, you want to send us some feedback? You might be angry about something we did. Yeah, I love this. I feel like nobody ever discovers this, but the idea behind it's kind of funny. It's like you're frustrated <laughs> yeah. that something's not working and you shake your phone. And you're like, why the fuck isn't this working? And then that's the moment you prompt someone to send feedback or report a bug or something like that. Yeah, it's guaranteeing negative feedback, but you know, negative feedback is still good feedback. All right, this next one is new-ish, and this is how do you prevent people from accidentally spreading misinformation? So there's a couple patterns here. One that is recent is Twitter changed the default behavior for the retweet button, it used to be that it would show a drop down and you could choose between retweeting or quote tweeting. It has now changed. It just opens the quote tweet prompt and you can choose whether or not you want to type text. But the prompt alone forces you to consider or at least reminds you that you are contributing something to the conversation. And if you can add to that, you might end up changing your mind to share something. Uh, similarly, I think this is implemented on Facebook and maybe Twitter, maybe WhatsApp and Instagram, but there's a pattern now of warning people before they share something that contains a link, which they didn't actually tap into. So this would prevent people from sharing things based only on headlines. That never happens, Brian. Just <laughs> mindlessly echoing and parroting something somebody else has said. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> if only everyone just paid attention to that, right? Uh, well, that leads into this last one, which I think is a nice way to leave off, which is Reminders for civility or to discourage toxicity. So 
paying attention to what somebody writes in a text field before they send it in like a live chat or a comment section or something like that and saying, hey, it looks like you might be saying some questionable stuff. You want to you wanna check that again before you actually send this? Are you sure that's what you want to say? I like that. And I don't know. I, f- I feel like there's degrees of intensity on how those prompts should be triggered because every community yeah. has their own sort of norms and, and things like that. Also, the wording is important of how you how you phrase. Are you sure you want to say that? But just the simple act of making someone think twice about what they're saying is enough to stop a large majority of toxicity online. Love it. But sorry, you said that was the last one. But as you were saying it, I remembered one more. Oh, do it. And this is really cool. So GitHub, there's a feature called, I think, secret scanning or code scanning. I don't actually remember the name of the feature, but it's a security preference you can enable that looks for password-like strings of text that might get committed to a repository of code. And it will warn you and say, hey, it looks like you've committed a secret. You should probably revoke it because it's public and anybody could see it and use it. Mm. Um, And this happens, you know, asynchronously in the background. So you can just have this stuff happen without having to manually review everything. Like if it gets committed, you're going to get prompted. Well, you just made me think of another one, Brian. Add it, add it. Let's go. <laughs> Which is uh, most apps that you use to to live stream, like OBS or I forget. There's a bunch of them, but a lot of these you have to have like a stream key that is a unique key. And if you happen to show that key live on stream, people can can get into your stuff. Oh, shit. so by default it's hidden, and you have to click a button to reveal it. Uh, similar thing with uh, one password, right? Your, all of your passwords are obscured. You have to choose to reveal them. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. There we go. Two two bonus ones for you. This came up the top of the head. Yeah, and there's probably so many more. I I love this. This is fun. That we should maybe convert this into a blog post, like the big list of design patterns to save people from themselves. Yep. I love, love this. Divya, thank you for asking this on Twitter. Yeah, great question. If anyone else has something that comes to mind, please tweet at us. Maybe we can make this a really well thought out list. But other things that we might have missed would be great to hear about. So tweet at us at Design Details FM. Sweet. Cool things? Okay, I'll go first. My cool thing this week is a person, and it's this person's online content, which includes their Twitter profile, but mostly their blog posts. So this person is Patrick McKenzie. He goes by Patio11, Patio11 on Twitter and Patio11 on Hacker News, actually maybe everywhere. Okay, yeah, I've heard this name before, not, not his real name, but Patio11. Yeah, so okay. Patio11 is very famous on Hacker News, currently works at Stripe, but is famous for lots of reasons. And, and one of those reasons is he writes incredible blog posts. So his website is calzumeus.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. Here's what I'll say. Some of these are like, career-changing blog posts. So his most popular one is called Salary Negotiation. In fact, I think the title changed. I think it used to be Salary Negotiation for Software Engineers or something, but now it's more broadly applicable. And the subtext is Make More Money and Be More Valued. And this is a massive fucking blog post. I think he says it's 7,000 words plus. So it's a long read, but it's the kind of article that just captures real things happening in the industry that no one's going to bother to tell you unless you really dig around and ask or just make every mistake in the book and just end up 10 years down the road realizing how much money you missed out on. Mm. And so that's just one of his blog posts. I'll, I'll, I'll link to it, but he has a section on his site called Greatest Hits. Other links there include uh, Don't Call Yourself a Programmer and Other Career Advice. 
and falsehoods programmers believe about names, which is a fascinating article about just how we deal with names, how we deal with people's names actually in software, which equally applies to designers as it does to developers. So there's just good stuff here. So I've been following Patrick for, I guess, six years now and have, have enjoyed reading his, his writing and kind of following along with his career. So uh, Patio11 on Twitter. Otherwise, we'll have a link to his blog in the show notes. Cool. All right. Hit me. My cool thing is a video game, Brian. Mm. On Been Brian. a while. Uh-huh. Been a while. But, uh, and I'm not even playing this game. I'm just watching someone play it on YouTube. But it's really fucking good. So uh, it's a game called Control. It came out over a year ago. But it's like this mix between X-Files and Lost and Akira. Uh, if if that puts something in your head, uh, okay. I don't know if you've ever seen. Or sorry, Akira. I don't know if you've ever seen Akira, but yeah, it's like it's this fun kind of mystery, paranatural, telekinesis, uh, all, all sorts of like crazy stuff, like mundane objects that have special powers. The premise is like you're uh, when you were children, you and your brother encountered this strange event. And your brother was taken away and you've spent, you're the sister, you've spent your entire life looking for him and you've finally been led to New York with this big giant building that no one else seems to really notice, but is really huge and brutalist architecture, really cool. And uh, you're allowed into this building and almost immediately become the director who has just killed himself. So now you're in charge of this Federal Bureau of Control, which is like a secretive government agency that keeps these extra planar supernatural objects from ruining the world. So that's what I kind of mean by like X-Files slash second season of Lost slash Akira because like there's (laughs) superpowers and stuff. (laughs) Okay. I'm not selling it very well, but like it's a beautiful game. It uses ray tracing. So all the reflections and and everything is just really gorgeous. The the particle effects, like so, you, like I said, you pick up these superpowers throughout the game, and one of them is you can kind of do this dash move where you zoom forward really fast. And when you do, chunks fall off of the walls, revealing rebar, and like papers go flying, and desks flip over. It's really cool. Like everything in the environment is destructible, and by the time the fight is over, the the room is just destroyed. It's really really fucking cool. But yeah, control. I, I only watched the trailer before we started recording this, and even the trailer is dope. It's got some good music in it, so people should watch that. Yeah, just I I love the lore. There's there's all this really cool lore. And and I'm watching Christopher Odd, who I've mentioned before on the show as like the channel that I watch when I, I do watch people play these longer games. Christopher Odd is really great at this stuff. Not so great at the combat, tend to fast forward through that, but uh, as far as like paying attention to every audio file and like letter and side mission and all the lore and stuff like that he's a great one to watch cool well links in the show notes uh yeah that's it this has been episode 372 we hope you enjoyed it let us know what you thought hit us with your other cool design things that help save people from themselves in in your products Uh, we'd love to hear it otherwise just tweet at us anytime or you can open an issue on our design details repo with your own question and we will hopefully get to that in a future episode and and finally, uh, just as a reminder, transcripts for episodes are going up on our GitHub. So github.com slash design details slash design details. Look for the transcripts folder if you want to read those or if you're feeling generous and want to 
just submit a pull request and fix a couple typos or, or some misspellings or anything like that. I guess that's the same thing. Uh, we would really appreciate it. So thank you to everyone who's done that so far. Yes, thank you so much. Otherwise, we will see you next week. And that's the way it is. That's the way it is. What's that from? Do you know that? That's uh, Walter Cronkite's sign off. Oh. Yeah. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> Shit, what was Ron Burgundy's? Oh. Stay classy, Stay classy San, San Diego. Diego. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll do that next time. Stay classy, design details.